Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. Today is Wednesday, January 16th, and you are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I am Morgan Lee, digital media producer here at Christianity Today, and I am with my co-host, Mark Alley, our editor-in-chief. How's it going, Mark? Good. Well, I think winter has finally arrived here in Chicago. Yeah, I heard it's supposed to snow. It's great, and it's cold, like it should be. Like God intended it. You're happy about that fact? I like the change of seasons here. I'm embracing all the seasons now instead of complaining about them like I used to. Yes, as of two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a new year. New Year's resolutions, okay? All right. So, Mark, today we are speaking with Jason Sir. He is the Director of Scripture Engagement and Translation at the Deaf Bible Society. If you are listening to the podcast, you will hear the voice of his interpreter, Ross. If there's a bit of lag time between when we ask our questions and when Jason responds, it's because we're waiting for the finished interpretation. In the event that you would like to see Jason responding to questions in American Sign Language or ASL, we are also making a video of the conversation available. You can find it embedded in our show article on Christianity Today's website. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, Morgan. I'm doing wonderful. Where are you talking to us from today? I'm over here in Arlington, Texas uh, at Deaf Bible Society, and we don't have any snow on the ground. There you go. (laughs) Mark is actually secretly jealous that he doesn't get to live there. I'm jealous I can't live over there. There you go. (laughs) Are you a Texas Rangers fan then? No, I'm not a Rangers fan. I haven't quite converted. Okay, I've been to one. I have been to a, a Texas Rangers game there once, some time ago. Well, Jason, we are really happy that you are able to join us today. Um, I'm sure people are curious why we are speaking to you exactly, and so I'm going to give some background and context for our conversation that's going on right now. So donations from the 40,000 attendees at this year's Passion Conference raised nearly half a million dollars to fund Bible translations for the at the beginning of this year. The money raised by students will fund projects in Mexico, Cuba, Colombia, Moldova, Egypt, Ghana, South Africa, Tanzania, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Myanmar, Thailand, Malaysia, the Philippines, Japan, and Russia. Just a lot of countries. Currently, no sign language has a full Bible translation, and just 2% of deaf people around the world have access to the Gospels in their own sign languages. According to CT's reporting on this particular fundraising campaign, sign languages aren't structured like text-based or spoken languages, and they require their own processes for passages of Scripture to be told visually through sign. 
Chronological Bible Translation translates the Bible by stories, while book-by-book translation uses the chapter and verse structure. And that's according to the Deaf Bible Society. So today on Quick to Listen, we'd like to explore why it's taken such a long time to provide this community with a translation of the Bible and what it will take to transform this particular situation. Before, Jason, we hammer you with questions. Mark, I just thought it'd be great for us to do a gut check on this particular news and even just, you know, this fact that no sign language, you know, has their own full Bible translation. Yeah, well, I had two reactions. First, of course, like uh, many readers, is why why does the deaf community need a sign language Bible when they can read like everyone else, which we'll get into in the podcast. The second was just a, an innate interest in the story because I was raised, as you may, um, as I may have mentioned on the show, with a, a brother who was uh, born uh, blind since birth. So we dealt with his various and sundry needs, for example, buying him a, a, a Bible in Braille when he was younger, and just, you know, thinking about the world from his perspective. I had to take care of him. He was a year younger than me. So helping him negotiate many situations always makes me more a little more sensitive and thoughtful about other people with one impairment or another. My reaction was honestly just that it it seems like there's been so much progress that's been made in the Bible translation field and community. I was honestly surprised that no sign language has their full Bible translation. I think I actually learned that when I visited um, the Museum of the Bible a couple months ago, but just reading it again, I found, still found it kind of shocking and surprising. And yeah, we had that other stat too, that just 2% of deaf people around the world have access to the Gospels in their own sign languages. Yeah, those are some like really crazy stats. So I'm glad that we can have Jason on to discuss this with us today. So Jason, I thought maybe I'd just start with this question. Why are there so many different sign languages and how many different sign languages are there? Well, sign languages are very similar in spoken languages in that sense, where there are a variety of spoken languages, there are also a variety of sign languages. Um, for example, uh, American Sign Language actually gets is rooted from uh, French Sign Language. That's just kind of the origin, it's the, the history. There was a, a deaf man who ended up moving to the States and set up a deaf school in the States. And over time, the, the language that originated from France be transformed and became what we know as American Sign Language today. So it's very similar and with the variety of countries that are out there. Uh, they're influenced by different things, and it happens over time. People sometimes want to communicate with people that can't hear, so they develop their own sign language. And it's very similar with spoken languages in that sense. Um, and just our rough estimate is just over 400 sign languages. We have about... Over 250 documented ones, but we're assuming that there's still over 400 because we know that there is more. It's just a, a just a possible number of people that use sign language is that over 400, but we've only got about 250 documented still. And I assume that those uh, those sign languages share a lot of signs, like uh, like uh, languages do, or cognates, as they say. Some have some similarities in the language, but not everything does. It's kind of like you have people that speak English and then people that speak Chinese. The, the, the tone inflections are, are very different, and how it's communicated is very different, and what they mean is very different, just like accents. Sign languages actually have accents as well. How about that? That's really interesting. And tones, uh, I assume they, well, that's kind of a crazy question I recognize, but I know Chinese is tonal, so that makes a difference in, 
in an audible language. Is there something similar in, in sign language? Yeah, a lot of it is in relation with movement. For like the, the Asian culture, it's a lot more straight-faced in a way. It's some minor head movements where they lean the head forward or move it back, where it's in America, it's more laid back. It's more relaxed. There's a lot more fluid movement. Adjust everything that I know. I'd have to adjust my facial expression. Um, the words that I say, so how I move my mouth when I'm trying to express what I want and what I'm saying. And so I'd have to adjust all of those just to do brief stints in Asian Sign Language. Okay. Well, our our, our listeners are going to have to watch this. This is just really interesting. Anything else you want to nerd out on, Mark? No, that's great. No. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both really enjoyed languages. So um, I want to go back to Mark's gut check where we were talking about questions that people have about why just reading the Bible and written text isn't going to be sufficient for the deaf community. What do you say when people ask that question? For many deaf people, we're, we are actually are visual learners. We don't rely on specific words. We, we kind of rely more on images and like the, the context of those images. So when, one of the things is when we start an example, we kind of base it off of the setting, like kind of where we are currently in that moment. And then we kind of start to set, set things up around, around us. Like if a, a tree's to the left or cars to the right, where the water is, or if there's any animals, what the weather's like. And then we continue with that, that story or that example. And how it's expressed itself is very different. You don't really get a lot of that in English. You'd have to kind of create that image in your head where deaf people are able to set that up. Our, our first reaction is visually. That's, that's what's most impactful to us. And so when we are able to see those reactions, we aren't able to get the same reactions when reading it. And so just trying to process the Bible then is going to be just kind of massively incomplete. It would fall really short then to just have to read it verse by verse. Yeah, it, it is a good tool for the deaf, but it's not the same understanding, that same grasp of knowledge, because it's not in their first language. Imagine you trying to read uh, like a Spanish Bible. You would have to do one of two things. One, you'd have to learn Spanish, of course, and then you'd be able to learn God's Word in order to have a relationship with them, you'd have to learn Spanish and then still be able to try and learn God's Word through Spanish. So how does that imagery, the importance of imagery, work in uh, texts like the Pauline letters that are more, mostly about an argument and not a narrative, not a story? You can set stuff like that up in the sign language. It's what we call a role shifting. We kind of take on the that character, and we have their expressions. Um, we show some of the anger and some of the context behind who they were, and we kind of shift between two different people moving from one side to the other. And then we have that, that space set up, so as we shift, our, our focal point is to a little bit closer to the right, but as we shift to the other character, we move to the right, and then that focal point is now to our left. And so that sets up the two-character the, the two character split. I want to go back to something that we mentioned in the intro, which is about chronological Bible translation and book-by-book book translation. Do people in the deaf community feel more strongly about which one is better? And, 
you know, which one is favored? It's heavily related related to preferences. It's all it also plays a role in education. For example, when I was growing up in America, I had a I had a very good education. I was able to understand academics and excel in school. So the work that I did was really good. So I, that became more of a that habitual approach because that's the way I was raised. And so when I was reading the book by book sign language, I really appreciated it because it, it followed the same order as my studies did because I was able to actually then study it even further. But when it comes to children or uh, specific Bible study groups, when you just want to kind of tell that story, the chronological Bible is more of that storyline approach where you're able to kind of sit down and have a little bit more of that narrative and story time and everything like that. And it's easier to memorize and keep in your mind for a longer period of time as opposed to book by book. And so in other countries, they're limited to the access of technology that they have. So some countries don't have as much internet access. And so they need to memorize some of these stories. And they find that the chronological Bible was more effective for that memorization. So it was able to, they were able to keep some of those stories and then have that in their language and able to share that with the, with the people that they were near. Well, that actually just leads me into my next question, which is what type of technology do you need to be able to translate the Bible into sign language? A studio kit is one of the things that's most effective kind of having like the, the green screen and everything like that, having the space, the proper lighting, the proper cameras, and then the computer for the editorial work that we'll be doing, um, the software for it. It's kind of that whole package um, for that studio kit. It's kind of like kind of like creating a movie in a sense, but it's it's done in a smaller scale for translation work. So the Bible really wasn't available to be translated into sign language before the advent of film then and video yeah you're right the technology wasn't developed then so i know on our show i think we've talked a little bit about just the bible translation process for those that are using written text but i'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through it what it what that process may look like um, when it's going from greek for instance into sign language so we have a team of uh experts that requires a bunch of people. It's not just done by one person. Like uh, Martin Luther, when he translated the Bible into uh, German, he was one person that did that translation work. It was just him. For us uh, doing that translation work in AS, we, we can't just have that one person. We have a team. Um, and the reason behind that team is one person who is a, like a native uh, ASL user who's skilled with ASL. And then we have an individual who is are kind of our exegetical expert, so to speak. Uh, so they'll, they'll work in the exegetical and the background and the stories and knowing that everything's correct. And then we have our videographer, and then we need our uh, editor. And then lastly, we would need our uh, consultant who is extremely versed in Greek and Hebrew. And that would, that's who we would hire on as our team. So we have a group of about five, five-ish people with that one goal. And then that, that just creates that rough draft. Once we get that rough draft into that sign language, that's when we send that out to the community. We send that out to the deaf society at, at its whole, people that are believers and are unbelievers, to kind of 
show them the work that we've done to see how our sign language is, to make sure that it's clear, it's precise, it's accurate. And then we have people that are knowledgeable in it, in scriptures so that it's accurate there as well. And then we get a lot of that feedback. And so once we get that feedback, we might have to do a second and a third and a fourth draft before we're able to finalize that one portion of scripture. And then after that is when you would actually go about videoing the kind of like final version of that? Yep. We would have that final video and then we would have it published. And if I wanted to access the Bible in ASL right now, what is actually available? You can get access through our through the website or the Deaf Bible app. And some is actually out on DVD. There's some on USBs. But it, it also depends on the team. So it depends on uh, how far along their process is. We've started with like Genesis and everything like that. Um, so book by book follows, follows the chronological uh, book by book through, through 32 different stories. And then we have an additional 35, and then we create 110 different versions of that. So it, it depends on where you start. But we, some start with the, the gospel, some start back in Genesis, um, some start in Mark. So it really depends on that team and how far along they are in that process and the capacity that they're able to actually produce. What do you, would you say is the, the hardest genre of the books of the Bible to translate? The uh, apocalyptic uh, passages. So like uh, Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelations, those are typically the hardest. Some of the other books uh, could be considered tough is uh, John and, uh, and Daniel. Those ones are considered a little bit more challenging. The Gospel of John? Yeah. Huh. That's so interesting. And so what is the, the apocalyptic, the thing that strikes me about them is they're extremely visual. So it strikes me as they would be especially helpful to you in that regard from a translation point of view. I think it, it's more the, the the theology behind it and grasping that understanding. Because you have to remember, 98% of the deaf community hasn't been introduced to Scripture. So we don't really have a lot of deaf believers out there. And so kind of trying to give the context so that people can access it and understand it is, is the challenging or the sticking point? Yeah, that is the sticking point. So what do you do with words uh, when you run across that this would happen in apocalyptic literature, especially in, in Daniel, I think, it, and then other passages of Scripture. Even in the New Testament, you have Jesus using specialized technical religious terms like Corban. When you come across a word like that in translation, it's actually a foreign word to English. How do you, what do you do with that? You spell it out? We would we would have a sign. We have our consultants there, kind of the support to making sure that that sign is uh, part of that scripture, and make sure that it's very accurate and that it's very fitting to the the meaning behind it. We we tend to avoid that spelling out because it it'll hit more home if there's a sign. Okay, yeah, that's the point of translation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. It is. So, what countries? Sign language has made the most amount of progress when it comes to Bible translation. The most progress we've made so far is in American Sign Language, and it's actually through the company we partner with called Deaf Missions. And the first ever completed Bible ever is expected to be completed in 2020. And then following that is the, the Japan translation and then the Colombian translation. Oh, the Japan translation. That is so interesting. 
Wow, that is great, because it's a country that's been very hard to reach for the Christian faith. Yeah, we have a, a great team there. Uh, a lot of church churches are actually working together for that single goal of getting that translation. So we've been we've actually been praying a lot for the translation team in Japan and Colombia and all the other languages as well, but those two specifically yeah. because they're doing right now as well. I was just wondering about the Colombia one. I think obviously for those of us hearing people, we would expect that there would just be one Bible that would get used in all Spanish-speaking countries. But it, it does it seem like almost every single Spanish-speaking country has their own Bible translation team and their own sign language? Yeah, it's it seems that way. There's a lot of different sign languages in, in South America and in Central America, um, as well as Mexico. There's a lot of variety of the sign language down there. And within Mexico itself, there would be a variety? Right now, Mexico has one current identified sign language, but I don't want to kind of negate the possibilities of others, but they only have one identified okay. national language there in sign language. This episode is brought to you by Church Law and Tax. Church Law and Tax understands the realities of church work helping thousands of churches stay informed and get equipped with comprehensive resources on legal, tax, financial, and risk management matters. Do you have a question on housing allowance? Need information on selecting church insurance? Looking for insights on what is or isn't unrelated business income? Or how about some guidance on how to properly receive charitable contributions? ChurchLawAndTax.com equips you for success with access to the most respected and knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, financial advisors, and risk managers guiding churches today. Get the practical information and timely coverage you need to keep your church up to date and lead your ministry with confidence. Join ChurchLawAndTax.com today. I'm curious, what do you think has been key to the Japan and Colombian Bible translation teams making as much progress as they have? Right now, uh, the Japanese have 19 books translated, and Colombian has 16 books translated. So when the completion is, it could be quite a few years from now. They have a lot of uh, exceptional support and great funding. I'm talking with having an exceptional team. The team is very dedicated uh, to the translation work that's being done in those countries. I think one of the key things is commitment. A lot of people don't quite realize how much commitment is actually required from the people doing the translation work. I think that's one of the things that stands out between the Japanese and the Colombian cultures is that commitment. I mean, how many hours a day can a, a team like that work together uh, reasonably? I wouldn't think they could go at it for eight hours. I think that would be exhausting. Like I, like I said before, um, there is a team of people, so they each do their part. So one person could work, for example, it's the, it's the, if it's the person who produces the sign language. Once all the translation work is already figured out, you have one person, like a schedule time where they're meeting one-on-one -on -one and explaining what they're required for, for signing and everything like that within the studio. So for maybe three verses, you might be looking at, the entire day having that having it put into that sign language oh my gosh wow no wonder it takes dedication oh my gosh i'm curious then in the wake of just not having bible translations in their own languages how 
has the deaf community responded to this and kind of made do? Before we started the translation work, we encourage community involvement. We have what we what we have what we call uh, CANA, which it, C is for uh, clarity, A is for accuracy, N is for the naturality of it, and the last A is for the acceptability. So that part, portion, that acceptability, is requirement. So we have the community at at large uh, for, with a ver- variety of different denominations and included in that discussion um, with that translation work. Kind of like make sure we have their support before we move on with the different projects. So oftentimes when we have that approach, we have the community's support and they're already excited and thrilled and ready to put even more support behind this because they want it even more once we started doing this work. How has the deaf community traditionally worshipped without having scripture available? Historically speaking, they've been going to church. They were just kind of believing whatever was told to them. They never really had an opportunity to be equipped to become leaders. So the vast majority of the deaf people want to know the Word of God. They desire a relationship with Him. And one of those simple resources is just reading a Bible in their own language. Or talking about talking with someone who knows the scripture, that they're able to ask those questions of them. Or maybe they're able to read what we have is the, the comic Bible. Or they're able or they're able to watch a couple of Christian movies, some of the films that are out there. Some of them might have captions. And so the ones that don't have captions, they're just trying to observe the behaviors. They're assuming what's being spoken, but they're trying to get that behavior. But they've never had a full, precise, clear interpretation of that. They've always been reliant on people being told and then being told what to do. Yeah, I have seen, you know, a number of uh, television broadcasts of worship services. I may have been to a few there in which there was a signer at the service, but I can see where that could still be just a simply one-way communication. And it sounds like the community is looking for something a little more dynamic. Here in America, we have uh, some Bible schools set up and some deaf that some deaf individuals are able to take classes, and now some are even being led by deaf individuals. And so we've noticed a large increase with the society today. But a lot of that is starting within the churches. A lot of uh, deaf churches that are out there, they have the, the, the pastor. A lot of the, the pastor within the deaf church actually requires the audience involvement. So... If the, the pastor asks a question, he expects the audience to actually answer it. It's more like the pastor will ask a question, and then one person will kind of um, raise their hand and give an answer. And then that pastor will kind of expand on the answer that was given. And that becomes more of that discussion. And then that forms uh, some kind of discussion. So instead of a preaching, it's more of a, dis- a large group discussion. It's more of a communal discussion where you're sitting in a, a church, you're just listening to what the pastor said, and then when church is over, you leave, where the deaf requires more involvement. What countries would you say the deaf Christian community is the most robust? Sometimes it's difficult to explain, just because you're having a healthy Christian environment. Because in order to have that, that healthy environment, deaf people would need three things. One of them is the ability to kind of 
read and understand God's word in their natural language, the ability to kind of ponder what the meaning behind it is, because they have to have that thought process and the ability to ask questions. It's kind of difficult to say where, like which country that's currently happening in. If you look at just kind of the numbers of deaf leaders within churches or the deaf theological schools, the deaf Bible schools, and they have leaders within them that are deaf, or just Bible colleges with uh, accessibility, with that language accessibility. So it, it, I can't say exactly which country that is, because there's a variety of factors that play into that. So I'm curious, what type of work do you guys do at the Deaf Bible Society? We provide uh, accessibility to God's Word to the deaf individuals in their natural sign language. We connect the deaf community by training up individuals within the deaf community to help lead others. We invite everybody, deaf, hearing alike, to join our global cause so that deaf people will have access and experiences and the ability to share the gospel and so that we have hope that they can continue sharing the gospel. Do you encourage people who are not deaf to learn uh, sign language? Learn how to sign, I mean? Yeah, I would encourage it. I think it'd be amazing to have uh, people who can hear learn sign language and be involved with the deaf. I mean, on first blush, it looks very hard, although I will say that my daughter taught her her firstborn to sign before that daughter learned to speak so that she could uh, ask for more more food or learn to say thank you. And it was amazing to me to watch uh, my granddaughter, Ruby, actually learn to sign a, a few simple phrases before she actually learned to talk. So I think it must be possible. <laughs> a lot of it is a requirement of, of immersion. If you know like a deaf person and you start to get like a deaf group, if you're able to be fully immersed in it, you pick it up much quicker than sitting down in a class and everything like that. That's true of uh, spoken languages as well. Yeah, definitely. Jason, can you share with us how you became a Christian? I'm a very fortunate deaf person. I'm probably one of the most fortunate in the world. I'm one of uh, 0.002% of deaf individuals. The reason I say that is I have deaf parents, and both of my parents who are deaf are both Christians. So I, I grew up within the church. Even though I had uh, a lot of frustration and struggles and no accessibility to God's Word, I was able to have my parents who daily encouraged me and daily told me different stories and told me the scriptures. I mean, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't the best thing in the world. But I was extremely fortunate to be able to have access to this. And today, to be able to see the sign, to see sign language scriptures, it's so inspirational. Because that's not something I had my, my entire life. I never had that. And I consider myself one of the luckiest. But I still didn't have that scripture in my language. That's what I needed as a kid. That's what everybody needs. But I accepted Christ a little bit later in life. I was, I was a college graduate. But looking back on it now, I'm extremely appreciative and thankful for the foundation of my parents. And really thinking about it, I mean, 99.998% 
of deaf individuals never had the same opportunity that I did. Wow. Jason, I'm wondering if you can tell us how the hearing community can pray for and support the deaf Christian community. So prayer for translation around the whole globe, including the languages that have not been translated, that we can have those deaf individuals who have a heart and a passion so that they can begin the translation work within their own communities. And prayer for an awareness, deaf and hearing alike, that it's able to provide different ways for God's word and the translation work and how that can continue to spread and how that is shared. And the prayer for finances and the funding so that people can be impacted by the work that, they, that they, we've done so they can donate their time. They're, they're the people that they know, then they can donate some finances and funding, and they can donate it to this cause. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. For anyone that has feedback about the show, please feel free to send us an email. We're at podcast at christianitytoday.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. We're at CT Podcasts, and we always like to hear what you're thinking about and how you're reacting to our particular episodes. So please go ahead and leave that there for us. And we will put a link on our website where people can donate. Yeah, of course. Because yeah, you can visit us at, uh, at uh, deafbiblesociety.com. You can check out Facebook, Instagram. It's just Deaf Bible Society on those, deafbiblesociety.com. Fantastic. Just a reminder, this podcast is made possible by subscribers of Christianity Today magazine. And, you know, some of us are just constantly can't get enough of Mark Alley. Hear him on the podcast. We subscribe to his newsletter. And occasionally he also writes for the magazine. And if you are a subscriber and you get our January, February issue, you are in luck. Even more Mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a happy coincidence that I wrote this review, but it would, it would be a book I'd want to point people to anyway. It's a book called The Atonement by a philosopher, a Catholic philosopher, Eleanor Stump, who works out of St. Louis University. Uh, it's an absolutely incredible book. It's her attempt to come up with a new theory of the atonement, which is no small thing. But she's uh, not only a, a, a brave woman, she's an intelligent woman, and the book is well-reasoned and thought out. I have a serious disagreement with it, but I do think people should be aware of her work and her person. She's just a, a marvelously charitable and thoughtful human being. So she's a model a kind of scholar in that regard. She uh, acts like a Christian, thinks like a Christian, writes like a Christian. Uh, so I encourage you to read that review to get an introduction to some of her ideas. Uh, and as I said, I disagree with uh, some of the things she said, but that, that's part of, the, part of the game of book reviewing. So I encourage you to pick up that issue and check out that review. And maybe read the book. And maybe, well, the, yeah, I, I would encourage you to read the book, but it's 600 pages of analytical philosophy. So, Mark, I am proud of you. 600 pages. Yeah, that it was... Dedication. Dedication. I think I know why you ended up writing that book review. Our books that I couldn't find anyone else now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you are intrigued and you would much rather read the 600-word review of this book rather than the 600-page review, you can do that by becoming a subscriber to Christianity Today magazine. Again, we are at orderct.com slash quick to listen. That's orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, where everyone here gets to share something that has recently brought them joy. 
Mark, I am looking at you to go first. Okay. Well, I met with my theology group last night for the first time in like three or four weeks. Uh, It's called Brewing Theology, and we bring a beverage to share, and we promise to read the passage under discussion. We're reading Boethius's Consolations of Philosophy now, a book I've heard many people mention throughout my whole life and have never read it. So just the uh, being able to, you know, fellowship with a lot of guys around theology and philosophy, it was just a nice, uh, glad and happy reunion after being off for a, a month or so. Is there a gist of this book? Uh, Boethius was a, a, a city statesman uh, and with a philosophical background, and he got thrown in jail unjustly. And so he, from jail, he writes, he writes uh, this piece in which he talks about how unjust his, uh, despite his trying to live a virtuous life, uh, how unjust he's been treated and how unjust his situation is. And he tries to understand how, how that can be. And so it's a discussion of that, a life of philosophy. He's a Christian, although the, the Christian message doesn't come through clearly, but he, he, basically the idea is that there is a way to live life that can transcend even injustice. Sounds good. All right, Mark, where do you want people I to I publish read? something called the Galley Report. Actually, Christianity Today publishes it. I just write it. It can be found at christianitytoday.com slash Report. That's G-A-L-L-I. And I uh, link to articles and comment on them. All right. Jason, you ready to go? I've been reading some uh, devotion to myself, some devotionals myself, and I was able to share with one of my uh, deaf friends. And uh, he's kind of trying to become a leader for uh, a group here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I've been encouraging him with uh, the work in First Kings chapter 18, verse 11 through 13. And as she kind of explains how how God is in the midst of everything. It doesn't matter how, how we think things are wrong or how we think something happens to us and it's wrong, but God is still in control of all of that. And so the story in First King speaks about Elijah and Obadiah. Ahab and Obadiah went their separate ways and they met, uh, he met Elijah. And he thought Obadiah was there to, to catch him, to kill him. But Obadiah says, no, I'm not here uh, to do anything like that. And how things kind of led from that point. So I've had that discussion with my friend. It doesn't matter how things we think are a mistake or things are wrong. God is still in control of all of that. So this week, I really cherish that because I'm able to encourage deaf people to be brave, to become leaders within the community and to be with one another in fellowship. It doesn't matter how much we know. We know that God leads and he is in control and he will always dictate something. Amen. That's a great message. That's awesome. Thank you, Jason. So my precious moment is kind of a strange thing to file under precious moment, but I have been listening to this podcast called Believed and it is about the... Larry Nasser scandal and sex abuse story that has been playing out in the media for the past couple of years. Um, but of course, the actual incidents were going on for a lot longer than this. And the podcast, I believe, is about seven episodes. I finished it last night and I thought it, they just did a fantastic job, not only walking people through the facts of the particular case, but also just how so many people who Um, probably thought that they were trying to do the right thing, got swept up and ended up doing the wrong thing, um, which I think is important to realize when we're 
you know, learning more about what happens in many of these sex abuse cover-ups and how so many times people get end up doing the wrong thing um, and, and what ends up happening, you know, how long people pay for other people's um, negligence or willful ignorance um, or sometimes just desire to pervert, um, desire to preserve their own safety. Um, I thought that that podcast was really a powerful way to kind of explore those themes. So that is called the Believed Podcast. And people interested in hearing more from me can go to Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's produced by myself, Cray Allred, and Richard Clark. The music is done by Sweeps. Thank you, everyone, who rates and reviews the show on Apple Podcasts. We truly appreciate it. And we will see you all next week. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.